0: Welcome to another episode of Bakari Sellers podcast and shout out to all of those people who have voted for us uh, garnering an NAACP image award for those who haven't voted please go and vote We were thankful to be nominated by the NAACP image award committee and today with us we're going to keep it going keep this train on the tracks we have uh, one of my Spelman sisters on the show Uh, somebody who can help us navigate and doing some dope work with their current project which is a play on words uh, there, but none other than Alicia Gordon, how are you? I'm well, I'm well, what's
1: going on? I decided to drink my water out of a good Spellhouse cup today, you know,
0: for the culture. <laughs> for the culture, look, we, we, you know, you can always tell us, but you know, tell one of us, you just can't tell us much. Can't we, tell us much. <laughs> we start each one of our shows by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers and you've done quite a bit since you left Spellman. So walk us through each one of your career stops since then and talk a bit about the current project.
1: Yeah, man. Um, the art, the art really actually begins at Spelman uh, when I was a few months shy of graduating in 2004. I actually would learn I was pregnant with my daughter, and I had uh, was in the middle of applying to graduate school and. Uh, when you learn that you're pregnant with your first child, you know all those kind of things just kind of get put on hold. So going to the University of Maryland College Park for journalism and moving to New York and becoming the next Kadesha James and all those things were were put on hold. And so that actually is where the the arc begins, uh, making the choice to raise this child hell or high water. And so after Spelman and being in a very uh, <laughs> precarious relationship. Um, I would turn to teaching. I have a degree in English for Spelman. So it just made sense for me to use that degree. So in 2007, I began uh, teaching English outside of uh, Atlanta, out in Douglas County. And after about four years, I decided that there was something else I was supposed to be doing. I wasn't really sure what the something else was, but I just had this, uh, this kind of feeling that there was something else. I decided with a four-year-old to sell everything I own and move back home with my mama in Decatur, Georgia. God rest her soul and uh, made that move. And a year later decided to go to graduate school at Emory University. And that's where you really began to see, or I began to see what I call these quantum leaps. So I would go to Emory, earn my master's of divinity, um, graduate and really have nothing lined up, which was a whole nother conversation, but I would land a job in New York City working for united methodist church and so i would be in these kind of religious spaces for a few years and then i made another quantum leap pivot into politics i would uh, join michael bloomberg working for his presidential campaign um and then shortly after maybe about a year later uh work for maya wiley when she ran for president and so i make this pivot out of education into religious spaces into politics um the pandemic would happen, and you know i think all of us were in this place of like what the hell is next? Like, what are we actually supposed to be doing? How do we begin to pivot into new ways of thinking about whatever our work is? And so there was a school system here at East Harlem that was looking for some online programming for black and brown single mothers. This was before the current project was a thing. Um, And I would write a eight month long online program for these black and brown single moms talking about community and teaching them everything they need to know about money and emotional wellness and we did that program for about eight months and when we were coming out of the pandemic in the middle of 21 i was like there's actually something here and Mm -hmm. so that would be the beginning of the current project and so 2021 in november we officially launched and really rooted this work in that lived experience that that daughter that i was pregnant with at spelman in 2004 is now a sophomore at Spelman. And so thinking about the trajectory and the arc of my story is really rooted in why we do the work at the current project We're an organization that's committed to the social, economic and emotional well being of black single mothers, we want to help them get from a place of surviving into thriving, we think about strategic programming, and how policy, uh, those two things come together to ensure that they get to this place of um, social and economic mobility. So that's the, the quick version of the arc. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it really is the kind of Genesis story of why we do what we do at the current project.
0: Real quick. Your daughter is what now?
1: <laughs> she is a sophomore at Spelman.
0: Oh my goodness. That is amazing. I, I would have yeah, never, never, ever guessed that. Okay. Yeah. So, so why do you, why did you think the current project was needed and how was the current project essentially the culmination of your work and interest prior to leading to this work?
1: yeah you know you know as i just said my my life had been and have really been rooted in you know this experience i'm born and raised in decatur and went to all black high school elementary school went to spelman turned around and went to um emory but there was these moments in my lives where i felt like no matter what i was doing no matter what um educational attainment I had, I was always felt like I was like behind the eight ball. And when I think about the moments in which my life took these quantum leaps into whatever the next part of my calling was, it was because there were people who believed in my gifts. There were people who were literally able to give me a seat at the table. There were people who resourced me, you know, without any questions asked, literally because they were like, there's something to you and to your story. And so it is that kind of spirit that I realized that and also recognizing like, the the ways in which policies often made it challenging for me that's and my the, daughter.
0: <laughs> of it, Right there.
1: Yeah, it made it hard for us to really move across this line into like real social and economic thriving, right. And so I have been literally through every social safety net system that you can think of, um, and having to navigate those in real time. And so it is that the current project is really rooted in knowing and understanding what we call we call the Black single mothers that we focus on are we call midler moms M I D D L E R and these are mothers who have out earned social safety net but they under earned to economically thrive they they were exactly who I was right so on paper I may have made an X amount of money but living in New York City my rent went from six hundred eighty dollars in Decatur to three thousand dollars a month right and so that also meant that I lost the safety net of free childcare and free you know, medical care and all those types of different things. And so those kind of lived experiences coupled with uh, understanding and navigating policy is really what roots the work of the current project. We focus on economic wellness. We're really focusing on making sure that we mobilize Black single mothers to not only have agency about their lives, but thinking about how that agency fuels and shapes um, uh, the policies and voting and, and politics on the local level, and how we're able to really move them forward, as a as I've been saying recently, as a as a major voting block. there are 4.2 million Black single mothers in this country, so it's really not lost on me. That was, on not, the... that was
0: my next question. 4.2 million. Let's let's let's. I hear you. I want to continue this conversation because I want to dive into your focus grouping on on political opinions, and this ties into that and policy priorities of of Black single mothers. And you just mentioned the fact that we're talking about four point two million voters, but why did you choose this demographic? And as a segment of of black voters, of those four point two million, can we are they active? Are they inactive? do we do we have to bring them out to the polls? Talk to me about that, the characteristics that make up that voter.
1: Yeah, so the four point two million black single mothers, obviously that's from basic census data. These are women who are unmarried, head of household raising children sometimes raising other adults you know older adults but primary hit, uh breadwinner in their household and so you know i think when we look at the kind of overarching um lens of black women voters in general black single mothers obviously fall into that voting block one of the things that we have are working on to really narrow down is that this mittler group these kind of mothers who are out earning social safety net but under earning to economically thrive our data shows that they have some kind of college background they all work or they're an entrepreneur Uh, they mostly live across the south which I really you know it's not surprising but you know I thought that was a
0: I mean just let's just be honest I mean you're debunking a lot of the age-old stereotypes that come from the far right to say what What was the term that was coined in the 1990s the welfare queen the
1: welfare queen. yes yes okay yeah and these mothers you know these mothers these Mittler moms are out earning social safety net so the whole welfare cream and queen and being relying on social safety net and TANF and SNAP. If for this particular group is not true obviously when you look at the larger 4 million there are many mothers who fall um into those safety net programs but this particular group is not and so what is it to be said when we think about as a voting block, when we think about moving the needle on particular policy issues in particular the survey that we did was around school choice asking them questions around school choice this is about exercising black single mothers exercising a pathway of agency Right. It is through their lived experiences that they get to exercise this level of agency that I think has just been left out of the larger conversation when we talk about things like school choice and safety net and those types of different things.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth, Plus. View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
0: I mean, that this, the work that you're doing is literally God's work to say the least. I mean, you you are tackling and. And dealing with a segment of the population that is, is the most put-upon segment of the population out mm. there. To put them in the context, if we're talking about the states that matter in 2024, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, North Carolina, and the cities that will drive turnout. I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there is a, that's a lot of single mothers. Do you think campaigns and candidates can consider single black moms as a discrete voting block and should be treated as persuasion voters? or do they just treat them as voters who are gonna be there anyway, like the typical black voter?
1: You know, I think black single mothers get looped into and lumped into the typical black voter. I think, you know, but I think what has been missed, especially around with the democratic party, they have missed the opportunity to really extract this particular demographic out of the larger black female voting block, right? Um, and, and I think part of the work, Bakari, and part of the reason that they missed it is because of this narrative thing that you're pointing out. The narrative has not changed in decades since the 1960s, 70s, 80s Reagan era around the role and experiences of Black single mothers. And if my story and the story of other Black mothers that we work with is if any indication is actually a missed opportunity, right? Because these Black single mothers, as I said, many of them have some form of education, whether it's an associate's degree or technical background or they're starting businesses. Um, and so when you talk about how do you move people out of the margin into the next rung of social economic thriving, we find that working on this particular Mittler group is the one that we are able to move some things along. So it is a missed opportunity. And I think that's the point and role of this survey, which to our knowledge is one of the first of its kind It's groundbreaking because I have not seen any organization really ask specifically about this particular group as it relates to both policy, social economic well being, and things like school choice.
0: And let's answer this question do you believe that single moms in general black or white approach politics differently or have a different view of our politics by virtue of being being single mothers
1: i think it's embedded in their experience i think there are two things that at play here which kind of showed up in the that actually showed up in the survey is we saw in the survey that black single mothers for example were are keenly um invested in the lives and their children's academic success but another survey point also said that they were not satisfied with their current, their child's current schools. But they also were like, you know, they're there, it's fine. And so, what happens in this particular group, whether black, white, Puerto Rican, or Haitian, <laughs> is that black single mothers have such a compounded experience—the kind of social and emotional toll that they are often dealing with, not only just raising their children, but the interpersonal relationships they have or the lack thereof. Can make it complicated and difficult to really become civically engaged right, and so I think that it is embedded in our experience, especially when you're talking about centering the voices of black women and black mothers. To be civically aware and to be keenly aware of how these um, policies get in our way become barriers to our thriving. Um, and so I think what our hope is and what I hope that this work and this conversation does is for people to begin to center their voices and really give them the kind of resources to have agency um, to talk about these things and knowledge it, it requires to talk about these things. I mean, in creating the kind of conditions that allow them to come in for, through different entry points, right? Whether it's time of day, whether it's the mode of conversation to really begin to push it forward because I think it's a miss, it's been a missed opportunity for a very long time, especially when you talk about the kind of two-generational move here. We're talking about myself and then we're talking about my general X daughter, right? Yep. So when I move along this spectrum, the outcomes for her is also about moving along that spectrum. And so when we talk about longevity in the party and longevity around these particular political things, uh, Black single mothers actually are able to offer a two-for-one
0: in my opinion. I may be wrong, but for me, I believe that Black single moms or single moms in general, Black, white, or otherwise, actually carry a a greater responsibility when they cast their ballot, when they exercise their franchise than anyone else, because of what you, it's kind of that tag-along. You don't want to call your child a tag-along, but it's that, you know, tag-along or generational. Yeah,
1: yeah, it is, it is. I mean, it, you know, And I I keep going back to it because I'm using it as an example, but even we surveyed about the school choice thing, we have been talking about it over the last couple of weeks as a pathway for people to exercise their agency because things a Black single mother or any single mother for that case, being able to make a choice about where their child goes to school has generational impacts right (laughs) whether or not their school has the literacy programs and after school programs all of those things have long lasting impact and so i think that kind of frame of mind is the same across other policies as well to ensure that when black single mothers um are in a position to thrive it actually sets all of us up to thrive
0: i mean as as single moms go as go as goes the community can you talk about the survey methodology and what you wanted to get out of the survey?
1: Yeah, we surveyed. It was a national survey of 504 uh, Black single mothers. These were middle to low income, and so they fall into that out of um, out-earning social safety net, but under-earning to economically They
0: Fall into the political donut hole.
1: Yep, they do. Um, and so we utilize a Black-owned um, a survey company called Avatars, which was really important to us because we knew that releasing this kind of data, we wanted to make sure that it was stamped by people who, who spoke our language. And so we we utilized them, uh, Avatars, 504 Black single mothers, and not only the data that you probably are looking at, but we actually able to e- extract some really strong anecdotal stories. These mothers who were able to say, I literally have to make a choice between whether or not I feed my children breakfast or whether or not I cheat feed them dinner i can't do both and these are mothers who are working these are mothers who are t- you know taking uh classes after you know at night classes and things of that nature right and so the kind of methodologies was really to help to begin to create a, a baseline when we talk about black sing- today's black single mother where are they what are their experiences where do they live what are the things that concern them and so this is the first of um, a national data survey that we're doing. The next one is really gonna drill down on this Midler population, uh, really trying to figure out what it is that, um, where they are, what they're doing, You know, women like me, what are the things that they're really concerned about? Because I think our ultimate goal is to really push that nomenclature into public discourse when we talk about things around policy and social equity.
2: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned
0: litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
1: Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
2: This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms
0: apply. One of the unique things that jumped out at the numbers I was able to see is about 70% of the black single moms you polled said they would vote, but about the same number said that the country was headed in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Unpack why they felt that the country was moving in the wrong direction, and how does this all bode for um, Joe and Kamala, or like many of us <laughs> in Congress that are on the ballot this fall?
1: Yeah, I mean, but like, you know, like I said before, Bakari, when you're having these, there, there's the truth. The truth of the matter is, I would vote for, you know, someone who's running the Democratic Party. And the other truth is, I'm deeply dissatisfied with the experiences that my life uh, are, you know, the, the experiences in my life, right? And so there are these competing truths that I think is showing up, um, not, in, not only just in this poll, but I think that is The sentiment of lots of voters right now is that for the sake of humanity and democracy, people are willing to vote a particular way. And the other truth is there's a lot of dissatisfaction when you think about inflation and cost of living and things of that nature. And so I think what I appreciate about that particular stat is that it doubles down and further affirms that this particular demographic reflects the, the the totality of all of us that there's some real truths And so when I think about this race in November, um, I'll just say that the burden of proof is not on Black single mothers, it's not on other marginalized folks, it's not people sitting in the margins, right? The burden of proof is on politicians and political leaders to actually do what they said they were going to do, that they create the conditions for holistic thriving for folks. Um, and the kind of shaky waters that we're in right now and the conversations we're hearing across the party about whether or not black and brown folks are going to vote um for for a second term again the burden of proof is not on the on the constituents right the burden of proof is actually on the people who who we've elected to do the job that we that we set them out to do and so you know my my hope is that black single mothers as as we continue to have this conversation that we really elevate their voices and to know and to remind people that there's a lot at stake here when you're talking about this particular group
0: look you talked about everything from inflation issues around food <laughs> insecurity mental health having just enough money to make ends meet um, there was a lot that jump jumped out at me public school schooling was huge as you can imagine But what are the policy implications of what you found from your polling? And what do you think our current conversation nationally or locally about public education is responsive at all to what these women you polled told you that mattered to them when it came not just to public education, but also, you know, earned income tax credit and minimum guarantee, um, all of these issues? Tell me some of the top lines that you pulled from your research.
1: Yeah, so the the pri- one of the primary things, obviously, that popped out, uh, not only in this this data survey, but with the moms we work with, like cost of living. Cost of living is the primary barrier that gets in the way of their of their social and economic thriving. Trying to make hard decisions between the rent, the child care. Um, and things like that, and so cost of living was number one. A real interest in child tax credit, right? We, we, there's a bill on the floor that that's about to be voted on, I think, by the Senate about um, you know increasing the child tax credit. But what we saw in 2021 is that a new model, a reimagined model around child tax credit, actually helped families more than this one-time payment at the uh, at tax year. And so I think that there is real interest around how do we begin to Uh, how do we actually move back into a policy that is actually the the, that black single mothers find that was actually the most helpful for their families is really critical the third thing that came up obviously out of that survey was around um, a public school policy again black single mothers there's always this narrative that uh, families that live in urban communities are not invested in the academic success of their children. And it's just not true, right? Uh, all the evidence and data shows that Black single mothers, their families, and, and, and those in their concentric circles are deeply invested, right? But again, even on the local levels, there are these, um, these kind of policies and ways of doing things that prohibit full engagement by families, right? You're having a PTA meeting at 5.30 in the afternoon where you know all the people in your community who may work at a local uh, factory don't get off till six. Why are you having a meeting at 5.30, right? So it's those very localized ways in which when you talk about um, shifting behaviors and the ethos of doing things really begins on the local level. And so really challenging local governments, local school systems, uh, to begin to look at how even their policies are, are made around how folks are able to engage. And so those are the top three things that I think often that have shown up in this survey, but we hear it over and over and over again, and the moms that we work with is that they're concerned about the cost of living tied to childcare, uh, things like child tax credit as a policy, being able to really give them a leg up during the year, um, and their, their children's academic success.
0: So I'm gonna ask you for a favor, Alicia, when I do my um, political roundtables, etc, particularly when watching results come in, I want you to come back and join me to have some dialogue and break down the voter information.
1: Yeah, I would love that.
0: I I have like four or five more questions. I'm just not able to get to with you today. But the most important question is how can people find your research and follow you on social media?
1: Yeah, thecurrentproject.org, you can go to our website and click our power or our data, I think it is, or thecurrentproject.org backslash data research, Uh, you can read the top lines there. There are also some links from some news coverage that we've gotten there. We're on Instagram at uh, currentprojectinc and on Twitter under the same name. And, you know, with the invitation I want to make, Makari, I'm very excited and and glad to have this conversation with you, but I want to invite Black single mothers to join our movement. You know, as we, as an organization, we have a goal of mobilizing 10% of the 4.2 Black single mothers by 2028, so by this next election cycle. So that's 420,000 Black single mothers that we want to mobilize, that we want to equip, that we want to really center their efforts and um, in a localized way to move the needle on key issues and so my invitation right now it could be to the donors it could be to the media but it's actually to my sisters other black single mothers to join us um as we build some power and movement um toward 2028.
0: i appreciate you so very much of course and thank you for joining us on behalf of the current project everybody just spend some time No matter what your background is or what you look like or where you come from, just go and look at the data in the current project. It may help you understand your sister who you work with that much better. Thank you so much for joining the Bakari Sellers Podcast.